Hello everyone and welcome to episode 99 of the History Hotline. This episode today is a special one. Um, it didn't come out on the date, usually does, for which I do apologise. But I kind of wanted to release it in the kind of midst of everything that is happening with industrial action at the moment. And, you know, if you don't live under a rock, I'm sure you'll be aware that, well, for the last few months now, actually, um, there have been more and more public sector workers taking to the picket lines, voting to take up industrial action in their respective unions and then taking to the picket lines. I wasn't sure how to create an episode like this and like the one you're about to listen to because I think at the centre of any kind of industrial action are individuals. They are the workers, they are the members of the unions, they are people that go out to work every day and are dissatisfied for one reason or another uh, with the conditions of their work, their pay um, and their pay not rising in line with inflation, even prior to the cost of living crisis where we're now seeing inflation at crazy levels, Um, their working conditions, they're unhappy with the type of contracts that are being offered in their sector, whether they're zero hour contracts or an increase in casualisation and precarity of their jobs low job security, all of these things are really important to workers in this country. And the impact is really heavy on public sector workers because they are paid essentially by taxpayers. They are paid by the money that we earn um, and give in our taxes. Um, They are paid from that. And so essentially, for me, it seems quite a simple concept that they should be happy providing essential and life-saving services that society would not run without when you think about it. Um, These strikes cause major disruption, Um, whether you are needing to travel somewhere and the train or bus company is on strike, whether you have children and you need to go to work whilst they're in school, but they're not in school because the teachers are striking. If you have hospital appointments or any kind of illness that needs you to have regular care from a hospital, when you have nurses, paramedics, junior doctors, um, consultants at any period of time striking, it causes disruption. And that's exactly the point of strikes and industrial action. So I wanted to do this episode to focus on the workers, the individuals that are taken to the picket lines, the individuals that have literally had enough and are at breaking point and have been at breaking point for many years. A lot of these strikes, yes, are a result of um, conditions coming out of COVID and in this cost of living crisis, but a lot of industrial action is actually just ongoing and has been happening for years. I can speak to UCU, the lecturers union, they have been taking industrial action since I was in my first degree. And that was many years ago um, over the same issues that keep coming up and keep becoming exacerbated um, by the way in which universities are becoming more and more like a business model and less and less like a place of education and learning. So I kind of decided to settle on an episode that isn't about me and my voice, but actually centres the voices of those people that are central to these strikes, the workers. So I decided to ask those around me, um, some people I know very well, some people not so well, to just share their stories and essentially let me know why they were taking up industrial action. And I'll be sharing the reasons later on in the episode as we get to um, part three. 
However, before I do that, um, I was able to actually sit down and interview some people that I think have quite crucial roles within unions in the UK. Um, and I've listened to them speak before at union events and talks, and I wanted to get them on this podcast, essentially. Thankfully, um, they've agreed, and, well, I'll be sharing some of their opinions with you today, because um, I'm not an expert in strikes. I can tell you the history of, of a few strikes that have happened in the UK and the Caribbean, but I can't really um, speak from a place of, of being within a union, um, although I am in a union, um, being active in a union at this point in my life and career. So I have two speakers that essentially will be carrying this episode, for which I'm very grateful. Um, Dennis Fernando, who is an anti-racist campaigner, who was an elected representative in the NUS as the National Black Student Union Officer. He also worked on national campaigns in Stand Up to Racism, Unite Against Fascism and the National Assembly Against Racism. He was also part of the Occupy London protest camp and has worked in Parliament and within the trade union movement and is such a valuable voice um, when it comes to these conversations um, about what's happening right now with trade unions. Uh, when I interviewed him, I was absolutely blown away and so happy because when you hear it, you'll know it'll make sense to you, but the kind of references to history when it comes to striking and the fact that it has been something that is part of um, society for a very long time. It seems some people kind of feel like, well, because they haven't seen strikes like this maybe in their lifetime, that this is a new thing, a new phenomenon. It's not. And Dennis speaks to that very well um, in his um, interview that I conducted with him that we'll be playing shortly. Um, the second guest I have on the podcast today, Holly Cooper is a queer, disabled, black British historian. They are halfway through their first year of default studies at the University of Oxford, currently researching community histories of the outer inner city, focusing on Coventry and Warwickshire. They recently obtained their MA Black British History at Goldsmiths University of London in 2022 and their BA from the University of Lincoln in 2020. They are also a very active member of the UCU Union. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis, for joining me here today. Um, so the first question I wanted to ask you, um, kind of in relation to all the strike action that's happening at the moment across the UK, um, is essentially how did you become involved with trade unions or strike action or that kind of work generally? So I used to be the US Black Students Officer um, and the National Union of Students is kind of the equivalent of a national trade union of sorts for students. It advocates to government, it works with member student unions around the country, it, it provides services to students, so like, you know, the NUS discount card. Um, and so the um, trade union movement regarded the NUS kind of as, and still does, kind of as the kind of equivalent of um, uh, representation for students. And I used to represent, uh, I was elected to represent uh, black students um, in Britain, so African, Asian, Arab and Caribbean descent students. Um, and so my my interactions with them were, were like, it was brilliant to have a kind of an, a work-based body <clears throat> because many of our members also work so it's brilliant to have a work-based body which we which also chimed with us which advocated with us which spoke at our conferences which invited us to their conferences so it just helped you feel like you were part of a bigger movement um, and that there was an outside world outside the student movement which 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 advocated and and kind of and and had your back 
Um, I also was um, very involved in the anti-racist movement, so I worked for a while in the National Assembly Against Racism. I was just very aware that when um, Stephen Lawrence's family were not being heard, so in the days before the public inquiry, the McPherson report, which led to the declaration of institutional racism, um, one of the biggest organisations that actually supported the Lawrence family was the Trade Union Congre Congress, the Trade Union Congress, and what that um, body does is it, it amalgamates all affiliated trade unions in the country so it's like a it's like a, a, a unified network of all the trade unions and they have a very large uh, congress where they all come together and the Lawrence family actually spoke to this congress um, to, and that helped to mount pressure um, uh, to to call for the public inquiry which they eventually got I've, I've seen that with other families like the justice for Jay Abitan campaign which was um, in 1999 just as the Lawrence inquiry was being published ironically um, uh, a black man in Brighton was um, was killed um, and the publisher public and commercial services union really championed this case because Jay Abitan was a PCS member so that that link is all the time being made our members are facing these attacks um, you know racist attacks other things and uh, we need to advocate for them as best we can. Listening to Dennis's story about his introduction, about um, how he kind of became involved with trade unions actually made me think about my own. Um, and for a second, I thought, yeah, actually joining the NUS when you become a student, um, for the most part, is kind of my first like active recollection of me personally being in a union. But I actually remember as a small child, um, accompanying my mum on protests uh, that the teachers union, the uh, NASUWT, uh, were conducting. And I can't really for the life of me remember how many years ago this was. I think I was in secondary school, I could have been in primary school. Um, but being part of, I think it was a protest in regards to pensions uh, and pay, which is essentially what a lot of the protests are still about today and strike action. Um, and we went down to London on a coach um, and we were marching and we were walking all day long. I just remember thinking, this is so tiring, but it's going to be worth it. And I just remember, even as a kid, the atmosphere of the day. There were drumming and musical instruments and chanting and singing. And even though it's such a, a kind of difficult thing to do, nobody wants to take strike action. Nobody wants to stand out in the cold screaming about the things that are wrong with their working environment and workplace. But even kind of amongst that and, and in the midst of that, there was this kind of collective spirit about it all and it felt very comfortable for me even as a kid um who might have been a bit like oh too many people too many crowds but I wasn't really that kid anyway um and so that was kind of my first I think experience of unions and I've also always understood the importance of them um but I think some of the conversations I've had with people maybe my age or people that work within the private sector and have jobs that come with so many benefits and, and perks. They don't always understand the importance of unions. Um, and I mentioned at the start that it is just um, public sector workers that are taking industrial action. And I just wanted to correct myself essentially because that's not the case. There are private sector workers um, that work for 
multi-billion pound corporations, cough, cough, Amazon, um, that are also taking strike action. In Coventry, the uh, Amazon warehouse, I believe, um, some of the members there have unionised and are taking action against pay and working conditions uh, in the warehouse. So it is not just something that's impacting public sector workers, although they tend to be the kind of largest group of people that take industrial action. And I asked Holly a similar question and it was something I kind of in part knew the answer to because I'd spoken to her about it before. Um, But it was also interesting how her kind of family background and experience impacted her decisions to be part of unions today. So I grew up with trade unions. Um, I grew up in a very working class environment. Um, where the majority of my family belonged to their unions. Um, My granddad was a union representative for his um, warehouse branch growing up. Um, And my mum was a trainee nurse and going through working with the nurses unions when she was training many years ago. And I sort of grew up around the victories of trade unionism. So what can happen when a collective comes together to fight for the rights of many? Um, and it was very empowering. Um, there isn't that much empowerment really um, growing up very working class. So I found this almost something I could resonate with so highly. And with the vast amount of unions and union membership across the country, it felt like you were a part of something a lot bigger than your council estate or your family. Um, so I sort of grew up with the very basic idea of trade unions. Um, But when I started my MA in Black British History at Goldsmiths University of London in 2020, I actually got involved with trade unions. So before I started my MA, I was in different sorts of employment, um, working in supermarkets, hospitalities, and through that, I was part of my trade union. But I was never really involved with the disagreements um and i just i just voted i always casted my vote um in favor of like industrial action and workers rights and negotiations but i wasn't really massively involved in it myself but when i started the ma um i was almost confronted um so when i started the ma it was really brought to my face Okay, I'm going to start that again. So when I started the MA, I was really confronted with it. Um, so my first year, um, it was during the COVID lockdowns. And so my course was all online. Um, and the staff, and it was the first year of the MA. So there was almost, there was a lack of resources due to financial problems the university had. And it was very, it was difficult. Um, And amongst all of this, the senior management team at Goldsmiths announced that there were going to be uh, redundancies. Um, And this was crazy, especially the the MA that had just started in my first year was to be faced with redundancies. So then from that period, during like the spring term of uh, 2021, um, we went into something called Action Short of Strike or shortened to ASOS. Um, and that was basically you'd only work to your contract. So you wouldn't do any unpaid responsibilities or responsibilities that weren't explicitly named in your contract. So you just did the, the bare minimum almost, which should be what staff are doing anyway. There's almost this expectation that everybody should be doing above and beyond and making sacrifices um, in higher education. Uh, but that's just so incredibly unsustainable. Um 
so yeah so that was the first year we did several several weeks of asos um and it kind of went a bit quiet and then as soon as we came into our second year the lecturers of the black british history ma um received redundancy letters during black british history month so that was a massive shock so in october it was the start of the brand new academic year and all of a sudden all of my teachers who i admired so much were being faced with redundancy potential redundancy um so as a result i was already quite involved with the union at goldsmiths in my first year but in my second year everything at the university kind of opened back up again so i got significantly more involved with the goldsmiths ucu which is universities and colleges union uh, and from that point i've sort of been stuck in the ucu i am very passionate about it i've always been quite involved in branch activities even as a student and it's something that I feel that all students and staff should be involved with. Um, even if you hear quite a lot of the time that people say, oh, I'm not striking, I'm not part of the union because the problems don't explicitly affect me. But you're not striking for yourself. You're striking for the greater community. You're striking for your lecturers. You're striking for your friends. You're striking for your tutors and your supervisors. Um, so that's sort of like the massive thing that I, I work on with the union is trying to communicate that message to people who are undecided or stand back. An important point to be raised, strikes are about the greater good. They are not just about the individual striking because in a lot of cases, change does not come in this very day. It might come next week, next month, next year. I mean, that might be optimistic when we think about the government we have in power now. Um, but it is very important to note that whilst so many people are stepping onto picket lines um, because they personally feel like they're at breaking point or they personally feel like they've had enough or are struggling to see how they're going to continue on in this field or, you know, be able to to live with the security that they need to maintain mental stability and that kind of thing. Actually, a lot of people stand on those picket lines and take that pay cut um, in order to ensure that things are better for the next generation of their profession. And my second question to Holly and Dennis um, was essentially why are trade unions so important? And they both speak to this um, so well, Dennis using historical examples to do so, um, because strikes and industrial action and trade unions have been around for a very long time. Trade unions are important for a variety of reasons, from solving workplace disputes to um, support with injury in the workplace to um, taking legal action against your employer for discrimination or anything else. Um, but what trade unions have been seen for most at the moment is industrial action, aka going on strike. Um, what has historically happened in the workplace is the employer has always sought out to isolate the employee. Um, you know, this is from a variety of things um, and, and more recently working from home has contributed to this isolation. So we're all working from home or working in our own bubbles and we're being given contracts, precarious contracts, and we're being put in awful, awful overworked positions and we feel alone. We feel alone and we feel ashamed for being in this position, you know, for having how many years of qualifications and education 
um, to, you know, being in this position where you are overworked and you're depressed and you don't earn enough money to support yourself and you're having to go to food banks. And that is sort of like the, the goal of the employer is to keep the workers apart. And what the union does is it brings people together. Um, so within higher education, the union, the UCU, brings together all kinds of university staff. So not just lecturers and teachers, but also administrative staff, um, teachers assistants, those on fixed term contracts. Like historically, it's thought of as for like permanent full-time employee in, uh, employees, but that's just not the case. It's very representative. And by bringing people together in this capacity, people can talk honestly about their experiences. We're all, it's, it's a very empathetic environment. We're all feeling each other's pain and we're all being educated. So we're being educated and informed about what's happening within the workplace that you might not see because it's not in your department or because you're a, a, a full-time um, employee, a full-time permanent employee, and you don't really mingle much with with temporary fixed-term contract workers. Um, so it sort of brings everybody down to the same level, the level of the worker. Uh, and it and it, it's just, it's a very unifying experience. Um, they say there's strength in the union, and that's true. You know, most, most breakthroughs found with, within the workplace have been fought for by the union. Um, so together, we're fighting for not only our rights as workers, but also the rights of everybody else. So I'm in an interesting situation where I'm both a student and a staff member at, at the University of Oxford. And being in this position, I've, I've been able to see the sides of both 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 stories. So I see what it's like to be a student, having lesson time cut, um, not being able to meet with your tutors, not being able to cross picket lines, but also as a member of staff. So being on the picket lines, um, talking with students to try and uh, create a, an education of awareness of why we're going on strike. And what the employer tries to do, especially in higher education, is it tries to pit the student against the staff member. Um, and what the union does is it tries to break that down. You know, we try to educate students, which we're very open. I mean, especially the branches that I've been involved with, we're very open to student questions and student engagement and student support. So it's it's an interesting dynamic where everybody seems to think, oh, students are paying all this money every year and they're losing out on so much education because they're going on strike. But actually, we are going on strike for the students' um, experience, for students' education. In all elements of industrial action, there is always going to be a party that does not receive the service that should be provided if that worker was at work. For example, a patient in a hospital, a student at a university, a passenger on a bus or a train or um, whatever mode of transport it might be. Um, and so an important element in the work of unions, um, as Holly was describing there, is to bridge the gap between the consumer and the person that's going to use that service and the person providing that service um, or that work in order to kind of make create awareness and create an understanding of what's actually happening I think that kind of breaks down feelings of resentment and it also kind of as Holly so clearly put breaks down this idea of the employer kind of being able to create divisions and now over to Dennis uh, for his perspectives on the importance of unions yeah well I think they're they're important inherently because without them we would not have weekends 
bank holidays, terms and conditions, fair wages. You, you only need to look back to the Victorian era when the Industrial Revolution first happened. Children were clearing machinery, which ended with their fingers getting chopped off. You know, they weren't going to school. They were going to work and they had to work in, in horrific conditions. Children were sent down mines. Um, the, these kind of things, you know, so the, the the reason that doesn't happen anymore is because people fought to stop that happening. Um, they're hard fought for, they're a part of history. And I just think it's really important to see the latest wave of struggles. In a sense, we're still on that Victorian battle line. You know, any time that, um, that workers' rights can be kind of eroded, they will be. And it's really important to keep fighting for them uh, to to uh, you know for, for workers' rights. So inherently, the trade unions under trade unions are a fundamental understanding that we are stronger together. If you are being picked off in the workplace and bullied in the workplace on your own, then you aren't going to be able to stand up in the same way that if all of your colleagues go right. Well, we are all downing tools, and we are all going to um, uh, work together in a, in a way. And it's not quite comparable, but it's worth a, just to illuminate the given its relevant example at the moment. It, look at what happened with Match of the Day yesterday. Um, when Gary Lineker uh, was taken off air, his colleagues went, well, if you're going to treat him like that, we're not going to join in. We, we down tools too. And then you had the Professional Football Association, which is the trade union equivalent of footballers going, footballers don't want to even give interviews on Match of the Day. So this is how people can withhold their labor to make the point, you, you, an attack on one is an attack on all, and we all have to stand up for each other. Um, and that's an extremely powerful thing in the working world and in the historic process of change. Um, but it's also worth knowing that, uh, worth saying that the trade union movement has this brilliant kind of principle of anti-racism in the workplace. So some of the stuff that I mentioned about the Lawrence family and other um, anti-racist initiatives, they very much see that as their role in making their workplaces safe for black workers, to be an anti-racist uh, work, workplace. These are important parts of their principles and therefore anti-racism in the workplace is an important thing um, for them to advocate for. Um, and it also comes down to a historic um, manifestation, which is that um, the trade union movement is very opposed to fascism, and that's because of what happened in Nazi Germany. So uh, six million Jewish people were killed and were the most savagely targeted by the Nazis. Amongst the 11 million, amongst the 11 million people that were um, killed by the Nazis, um, that included trade unionists, um, disabled people, members of the LGBT plus community and others. So I don't know if people are familiar with uh, Pastor Niemöller's poem, but it really sums up um, why the trade union movement is opposed to fascism. First, they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. So. The trade union movement understands that it is very important to oppose fascism, and they also understand that fascism is energized by racism. And so that's why you have this phenomenon of kind of like them being very bold on, on an anti-racist agenda. And we only need to look at the fact that the far right are right now organizing and mustering and mobilizing around asylum seekers in hotels um, in, the, in the period of time in which the government is putting forward a stop the boats bill and is basically um, describing uh, people in small boats as an uh, invasion on the south coast uh, and that's energizing the far right. So um, 
those who are vigilant, of which trade unions are one component that are very vigilant in the anti-racist movement, understand we need to go out and, and oppose this and, and stop it before it becomes an unstoppable force. Um, and that's what's successfully been done in Britain over a, a long period of time. You don't have elected fascists like you do right now in Italy or in Hungary or in various parts of Europe where they're a consolidated political force, they're a political party, they, they win in elections. That, that was tried with the BNP, it didn't happen. It was tried with the EDL as a street movement to build up to being a party, that didn't happen. It's constantly being tried, but it's thanks to vigilant people in the anti-racist movement that includes the trade unions, that that isn't able to break through. And where the far right and the BNP have a presence, racist attacks go up. So it has a huge impact on black communities. So that's another reason why we should all support trade unions because they are kind of our backstop. They are, they are a, um, you know, they're, they're a, um, an important part of the defenses that we have for a democratic, free uh, and safe society. I was fortunate enough to hear Dennis um, speak at an event coordinated by the Black Liberation Alliance um, a few weeks ago, um, which is where I was put into contact with him. And it was, I think, messages like this, um, things that kind of go beyond industrial action for the rights of workers in regards to their kind of direct experience in that role as a worker, i.e. pay, pensions, conditions, that kind of thing. Going beyond that, to know the history of trade unions working against fascism, against racism. And yes, there have been instances of racism within trade unions, and I'm sure they still exist today. But in recent months and years, any protest I've been to um, that has been normally anti-racist in its origins, um, they have been, and I mean by they, I mean unions, trade unions, whether it's a TUC or otherwise, have been there. And that speaks to the work that they do and the extensive amount of work that they do and causes that they support. And as they have the capacity to, because they are filled with essentially millions of members across the whole UK, across so many unions, um, there are millions of people that, that form these unions. I think it's very clear at the moment that industrial action is happening across so many different industries. Um, I believe on the 15th of March, there were 70,000 university workers, 36,000 junior doctors, 300,000 teachers, 133,000 civil servants, 10,000 London tube staff, around 1,000 local radio journalists and other um, workers across different unions, smaller unions that were on strike one day alone. It's estimated around 400,000 workers walked out on the 15th of March, a day that the Chancellor's budget was released for the upcoming financial year. Um, it was clear that there is so much discontent and ill feeling amongst workers in regards to the jobs that they do and the conditions that they do them in um, and the way that they are um, paid for them. It seems as these strike days go on, they get more and more populous. Um, it's the biggest walk out since this kind of current wave of industrial action started last year um, and it just shows really that people are not backing down um, and so we're gonna head back over to to Dennis and Holly to think about why are there so many unions taking industrial action at this time you know what is it what's happening what's in the water but also we're gonna listen to um, some of the people that are on the picket line some of the people that have decided to take industrial action for themselves I'll be speaking from their own perspectives in their chosen fields and roles um, we have 
quite a few teachers, a postman, um, and a medical junior doctor. Um, and so thank you so much to all of those people, first of all, for sharing their experiences with me, um, which is strikes can be quite deeply personal. Um, so I'm very grateful for them um, sharing their stories with me uh, for this episode. I think it definitely feels like at the moment that every single trade union is taking industrial action or going on strike. And ultimately, that is because workers have reached a breaking point. The underlying factor affecting all industries um, at the moment is pay and how it's not meeting inflation. Um, it's not even touching inflation levels. Um, like within higher education, pay has stagnated since 2009 and workers are facing a real pay cut of 25% per year. This is all while um, employers, institutions, universities are making billion pound profits every single year by increasing tuition fees, by increasing the prices of student accommodation, by increasing everything and anything but wages. Um, for example, vice chancellors, the people who sort of run the universities, the top of the senior management team ladder, they're making up to and beyond £300,000 a year. One person is making up to and beyond £300,000 a year. It's extraordinary. Um, and I think what's been a really... What, what's happening now or what has happened that hasn't happened up until this point was the pandemic. So the pandemic is obviously still very much a concern and something that we should still be um, paying mind to. You know, it, it hasn't ended. Some people are still very much suffering. And every industry was brought to its knees. Like in March 2020, every industry was brought to a halt or accelerated beyond working possibility. Um, and it's really highlight, highlighted the precarious situation that we're all in. We're overworked, we're underpaid, and we're exhausted. And it's unsurprisingly so. We look at the, the great scheme of things within the government, and, you know, we've had 13 years of austerity within our leadership and our government. And they don't seem to be suffering <laughs> the same way in which the majority of us are. Um you know, they'll get to retire with hefty pensions and have that sort of security later on in life, whereas a lot of us won't. You know, the state pensions, the, the age is rising, the contribution is decreasing. And for example, the private pension um, company that, that supports universities, the USS, the USS, has um, cut pension income by 35%. Um, which is an incredibly wild situation that I don't think I have the energy to go into. But ultimately, we are being stripped back completely in terms of any sort of benefit, financial benefit or security we will get from, from being employed, no matter what industry you're in. And I think that's the reason why all unions are sort of taking industrial action or taking a stand at the moment, Um this is a breaking point that we haven't seen in years. And I think the only way it's going to change is if we almost have like a, a general strike. So all industries come out and support. We strike, we withdraw our labour until we until our workers' rights are met. Um, so in my mind, these aren't radical asks. These are bare minimum asks to keep industries like higher education, like the trains, like nursing, like the NHS going. It's necessary.
My name is Sham and I'm relatively new to teaching, um, partially. I spent some time going into teaching around 2018 um, by joining Teach First, which was an organisation which was really there to support students who often are left behind because of an increased poverty that's taken place over the country um, over the past decade, really, and the impact that that has had on students that will not be able to have the resources and the opportunities um, that they really do deserve, to be honest, in order to get the education for their future. Um, and I thought that was a really good opportunity to jump in and get to know teaching from almost like a very personable level. Now, considering the fact that my introduction towards teaching was through a charity, which mainly focused on the educational um, gap, largely um, emphasised by poverty, it's really sad to find that now, let's say like around four years down the line, things have quite literally just gotten worse. And it's one thing for me to say it's really sad because see, I can reflect on that, but it's really sad to see students as young as 11, and it's a really matter about the ages, it's heartbreaking all around to be quite frank, all the way up to um, those who are doing their, going in sixth form, etc., really struggle over things that they shouldn't have to struggle with, um, that I would regard no one should have to struggle with in terms of their education. Things that are really down to solutions as based as funding um, and also just general respect as well. And it's just, it's really dropped off over four years. And I, I can understand the perspectives of teachers that have taught far longer than myself, who have seen the, almost like the glory days of education um, and seeing students really thrive and be nurtured beforehand and then to be put in this position now. So the main question that many parents and carers and general people will often ask is, <clears throat> why are teachers going on strike? And there's, there's quite a lot of misconceptions on that. And I'm just going to speak on behalf of the National Education Union, um, from my perspective at least for why I'm going on strike. Um, so teachers, particularly those who are members of the National Educational Union, also known as the NEU, will be taking a national strike for several periods of days um, during the workday of this year. And it's important to note that one of the things that I often hear on social media is that teachers almost like crave this idea of striking and they want to strike, but in reality it's actually the opposite. A lot of teachers, majority I would almost go and say, including myself, don't want to strike. And whenever there's a strike day like today, for example, it's often triggering a, a, a real guilty feeling within ourselves. But from the wider perspective, it's, we don't want to strike. We've almost come towards a position in time where the government has given us no choice to do so and, and that can be really difficult and ultimately we're striking for education and we want as much support for that the education of students the education education in a whole um, especially inside the uk and for the future of the uk um, as well and we really want as much support for that despite the convenience that it will cause and we completely acknowledge that as well so largely we're taking strike action because as a whole, we're really concerned that the cuts towards teachers' pay and also the lack of funding for schools has contributed towards a crisis in education across the UK. 
So examples of that would be the value of teachers and support staff of pay has fallen by 20% since 2010. And if you were to add this alongside with the increasing inflation, I think it's going up by higher than 11%, 11.5% now, that's huge. That's a huge um, drop in pay. I think if we were to reflect on my own pay and how much I would have lost out on in terms of the real pay cut of inflation from just this year alone, bear in mind we haven't come, well not just the year alone, this year, well year and a half alone, it's around eight grand, £700, and that's huge when it comes down to the economic crisis that we're in, never mind um, the added um, co conflict and, and issues regarding Brexit and also Covid as well. And then alongside that, schools are also cutting back on extracurricular activities and classes and clubs for students to be able to support the other side of their academic learning, which is not academic learning at times. It's really about them being the best type of person that we want them to be as they grow older, to be these wonderful civilians that know who they are, know what they love. They understand how to self-regulate their emotions. They understand what it means to be a citizen inside the UK. All of that. It's essentially threatened because there's not a lot of support or, or, or funding for these types of classes because schools are having to cut back to focus on things such as electricity, to be quite frank, and how that's also been increased um, since the economic crisis too. So we know, as teachers, we've known for this for a very long time that this can't go on. For the sake of education, the government has to change its policy on pay and also funding. And I think what's one of the worst things that I've really come across is that the government was trying to push for um, teachers to you know, have an increase in pay, but from the, the amount of funding that they're already giving, which is already less than, than what is needed in the first place. And again, going back towards my first point, teachers don't want to strike. And likewise, we don't want to take money from the children and young people that we teach. We have teaching is a vocation. We love to teach. We have a passion to teach. We, we love and care for the children and young people that we teach every single day. And to strip money or to expect to strip money from their funding is the most disgraceful thing I've ever heard in my entire life. We're not going to do that especially considering um, the fact that there are you know, many MPs that have had increase in pay from before um, COVID even started in the first place every single year. It's disgraceful. Just to let people know, it's not as if we haven't tried to communicate this towards the government. We have tried to talk with the government. We've tried to provide evidence. We have actually provided evidence about the crisis to them every single year, but they've disregarded the warnings that we've put forward. And we've already, as part of in the teacher, likewise with lots of our roles as well, you always kind of like are prepared to see almost the hazards that take place in the future and try and um, counter that as much as possible. It's a really um, intensive job, but we do it again for the support of our, our students as well. Um, but that's been ignored again. I think there's a lot of misconception around strike action. And one of the main reasons that I support strike action um, is that teachers historically um, have had to do more with less and have had to, if you put it into context, in real terms, you have a lot of teachers who buy things with their own salary for the students, that supply equipment because the school can't supply the equipment, that buy gifts for their classes to incentivize them to want to learn, to increase their buy-in, 
that buy food for students who are unable to, um, because of financial issues at home, have a decent breakfast or a snack. You have teachers who have to do so much and I wouldn't even say for so little, but for a fraction of what we should be getting. And I think that's the problem. I think the misconception is that teachers are striking because they want a day off, because they are um, being lazy. But teachers have to make decisions after decision after decision um, every single day, every single moment of every single day. They're having to think about how does my decision now impact what's going to happen in one week's time, in two weeks' time, in three months' time, in six months' time, in a year's time. And if you think about learning in general, learning doesn't stop ever. It's a 365-day, 24-7 type of thing. And if you think about it and put it into that context, teachers are having to help students navigate the learning journey that they will be taking in their lives. Um, and that's not just to be specific to do with subjects. So I think the reason I support strike action really is because teachers um, are burnt out. They're having to make sacrifices that impact their own livelihoods, that impact their family circumstances in order to support students um, beyond the classroom and within the classroom. And I think the wave of strike action you see is teachers finally recognising that we endured the pandemic and the nation endured the pandemic, but we've come back to circumstances that seem, if not worse than what we experienced, on par with what we experienced before the pandemic, whilst most sectors have adapted to some kind of um, adjusted way of working and living um, to facilitate um, life after COVID. Whereas life after COVID, because learning doesn't stop, the expectation has been that teachers just carry on. Um, and the profession was still troubled before COVID because of the lack of investment, the lack of training, the lack of mentorship. And I think it's easy to say that, yes, we're going to extend the um, NQT year to two years so that we have an ECT programme. But that doesn't mean that teachers are still not dissatisfied with um, the lack of kind of help and guidance that's given, especially to early teachers, um, because it's just expected to, here's an unmanageable level of work and we want it to be done within two days time. And then the same kind of comment will be, oh, you need to have a work-life balance. How am I supposed to achieve a work-life balance if I'm having to work 24-7? So I think it's, um, it's easy to say that teachers just want to strike just because we want a day off, but a day off doesn't mean that the work doesn't, is not there when we come back. A day off doesn't mean that the work stops suddenly. Um, a day off doesn't mean that we're demanding unreasonable um, pay conditions. Um, the pay conditions, um, I mean, one of my friends said it best to me the other day. I would be better off going back into retail because at least I know what my hours are and at least I know what my pay is. And that's the issue, teaching. You're having to do so much, but the pay does not 
really touch the sides on what you're being asked to do um, if you're actually going to effect change. And I think we have to put it that way. I fully support the strikes. I do believe that it's an unfortunate action to take to fight for our rights to a fully government-funded pay rise that meets inflation. I do believe that it is extreme, but it's the only way that teachers' voices will be heard. Well, we hope. Um, I recently read a poster um, from a teacher that was striking that read, teachers deserve more than apples. It is so true. Teachers show on a day-to-day basis how much they deserve more than apples. This pay rise is well deserved. Teachers do a tremendous amount of work outside of their lessons in school. They invest a lot of time and their own money into their students. And that can be respected and rewarded by a government-funded pay rise. And not only do we... Do teachers deserve more than apples? They deserve respect. So yes, from the strike, we would like an increased pay, but it would be tremendously appreciated along with the pay rise if we get the respect. I've taught in other countries around the world. And when I say to people, everyday people that I'm a teacher, the respect, the admiration and the value that they show me of how much they care of the profession that I'm doing, it's amazing. And it's just a shame that that doesn't transpire in this country. I think it's a right for us teachers to strike because what you have to understand is the pressure that's amongst us as teachers is so big now. We are only human and the expectation that's been put upon us is so great. I think during lockdown, this hit home a lot to a lot of parents to see how hard it is to actually teach their own student, let alone 30 pupils in a class and pay does not even come close to the workload that we have to try and complete within the time frame that we are given. Excessive marking, menial tasks getting thrown at you and working out of hours and not getting paid for all the work that nobody sees when you shut that front door. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That doesn't even touch upon the amount of time that we have and the high expectations that are asked of us and expected of us. When you look at the work a teacher has to do and the impact that we've had in COVID as key workers, We don't get paid a substantial amount of money for what we do. We are just expected to do it and be happy with what we get. We were working in the background that nobody saw and the pay doesn't even show it. And when you look at now and the cost of living and how much inflation has risen compared to how much our our wages haven't risen, risen, it says a lot. It's only fair that us as teachers who are professionals should be paid a decent salary for the amount of work that we do and giving up their own time to make sure that students' work is marked without pay, making sure that kids have got extra stationery that the school isn't providing, or anything that a kid needs just to make sure that they are safe and secure. That money comes out of our pocket. We don't claim that back. We don't get that back. So it's very important, you know, for the government to understand we are human too. Money is important to us as families And to everybody, it is important that teachers get the pay that they deserve because the work that they do is raising the next generation of students. We are in the middle of a cost of living crisis. um, And the most fundamental thing that's happening right now in the middle of that cost of living crisis is that the people at the top, the ruling class, the elite, are ensuring that this crisis um, is played out in a way that it's balanced on the backs of the people um, who are working and the people at the bottom of the rungs of the ladder, 
um, rather than you know giving over some of their wealth or some of their their wealth income so not even the wealth they have but like the wealth income that they are making at the moment um they are they are they're calibrating society to make most people pay for it so in the middle of a cost of living crisis um those at the top are ensuring that the the crisis is being paid for by ordinary people like you and I and like people listening to this podcast and what that means is Prices are going up, but wages are staying fixed or are going up very, very slightly, not in line with prices. So what that actually means, particularly in the public sector, is a real terms pay cut. At times we are hearing about people who are having to hold down second jobs in the public sector, um, third jobs going to, you know, um, health workers who are going to food banks. Um, all of these things are, are manifestations of this phenomenon. So um, it's really interesting when you think that during the pandemic, the public sector workers kept us going. Uh, they put their lives on the line to be able to do that. Whether you were kind of delivering mail, um, uh, looking after people in hospital, uh, running the transport system, it was applause every Thursday, uh, including by the prime minister, uh, applause, worthy applause for, um, for uh, people who were keeping us going. We could, what that proved to me is that you could keep a society going with the people in the public sector. Um, you didn't need the millionaires in the same way, right? So like what's happening now is that there's been a really quick shift to kind of demonize and to stigmatize people for daring to ask for a fair, for a fair um, wage uh, in the middle of a crisis. So now people are being asked to, uh, work harder for less they're just being told to put up with energy bills which are benefiting fossil fuel companies uh, which are burning the planet um they asked to be they're asked to put up with food shortages and meanwhile at the same time mps are getting a pay rise on their salary which is already 80 over eighty thousand pounds a year um there's food subsidies in the house of commons i used to work in the house of commons and so i i know that there are food subsidies in there i never understood why of all the people <laughs> that uh, who need subsidies i would have thought that the homeless people outside Westminster Station needed food subsidies more than the MPs did, who were already on very, very large salaries. Um, but that it's also um, the vested interest that goes on um, for many in government who are, you know, holding um, privatisation up as a way of intervening into the public sector because they're being lobbied to do such or because they're even on the boards of private come And this is why the... It, government are putting forward a bill that says um, stop the boats and it's no coincidence that at the same time they're putting forward bills that both clamp down on protest and try to clamp down on the right to strike because what they are trying to do with those things is go we're not the problem the real problem is the people in boats who are invading us the real problem is the strikers who are stopping uh, society running in inverted commas as they put it or the real problem is all these woke protesters they want people to have their eye drawn to those cohorts to those components in society because if they didn't have them to distract we would be looking at we would be asking more questions about the cayman islands or the panama papers or um, swiss bank accounts or all those places that people squirrel their money um, the privileges that many in this government have because they are millionaires, the privileged background they have, I don't know what, why they think they're qualified 
from their life experiences to deal with the cost of living crisis, which impacts on poor people, because so many of them are, you know, elite. They went to boarding schools, they went to the, you know, uh, Eton, they went to, they, they then, you know, were carried into Parliament. This next clip was taken from a junior doctor speaking for Channel 4 News. It's not just about the pay, but it's about the conditions that we're working in. And there's not enough staff at the moment, and we're having to handle lots of patients' care in conditions that are less than adequate. I've been a postman in Birmingham for about five years. Um, a bit of backstory to why the strike started. Every year, our union and Royal Mail get together and renegotiate our contracts just to make sure we're getting paid fairly. It's usually they just match the cost of living. Um, <clears throat> so this time around, cost of living went up 7%. They said we can't afford that. So we'll offer you 2%. So the union are saying, basically, you're trying to give us a pay cut because every year you find bonuses for the big buses, hundreds of thousands of pounds, just on one person. But apparently you have no money just to pay us fairly. So we go on strike. And now all these people are complaining, talking about, um, <clears throat> oh, they don't deserve a pay rise, they don't do anything anyway. All this foolishness. But when COVID happens, who's the key worker? Who's the one, who's the one outside when there's a deadly virus going around to deliver all the stuff you're ordering? Boris Johnson talking about the nation wouldn't run without us. But when it's time to when it's time to give us a pay rise, oh no, no, no. They don't deserve it. They don't do anything. So which is it, fam? Let us know. We'll be on strike until then. I really couldn't have said any of that myself, I'll be honest. And I couldn't have said it as well as those people did. And that's primarily because I don't do the jobs that they do. I don't go into the fields that they go into every day um, and do the work they do for the pay that they receive following on from a pandemic where they worked just as hard, if not a million times more um, than everybody else uh, keeping this country going. Society was literally run on public sector workers during the pandemic. Um, a lot of other fields were furloughed um, i.e. non-essential in many ways um, and other fields were able to continue the work they were doing from home um, and you know it didn't rely on them to go outside and risk their lives and the lives and safety of their family um, to keep society at large running and keep people safe. Um, teachers were in schools, the postmen were out, doctors and nurses were in hospital um, and you know the rest of the story because you were all there. Um, but I just wanted to take this moment um, to say a very big thank you to Sham, to Rachel, to Zach um, and my other two teachers, one from Birmingham, one from London um, and of course to Dennis Fernando and Holly Cooper. We haven't heard the last um, of them yet. We've got some closing words um, from Dennis, Holly and Sham who want to leave you with a call for action essentially. You might be listening to this podcast thinking, I don't know, I've never been in a union in my life. I've, you know, just been 
getting my head down, working in the public sector or the private sector. Um, and, you know, you've never kind of come into contact with this kind of um, industrial action, um, apart from when it kind of disrupts your life um, for whatever reason. Um, so they're going to give you some kind of tips and ways to get involved. But I will say my contribution to industrial action uh, and the kind of plight of all the unions uh, was actually to, in as many ways as I possibly can, stop the spread of misinformation. Uh, something I see on social media so regularly, just people talking nonsense. Um, the first thing I see, and it's probably the most frustrating one, is that striking workers still get paid and they just don't go to work. Like they're having a little holiday, like it's annual leave or something like that. That's not the case. If you decide to strike you can only strike if your union is striking you can't just strike of your own accord um unfortunately um in this circumstance and situation if your union is striking uh, you then as a member of that union decide whether you are going to take industrial action you let your employer know on the day you don't have to give pre-warning that's the whole point of a strike it causes disruption on the day um and then you lose pay for the day you are striking now a lot of people actually don't necessarily know that they're paid daily um, because obviously they're paid monthly um, with an annual salary. But when you actually break that down to a day's work, um, it's quite difficult sometimes to figure out. But, you know, these people know now because that, you know, pound sum is taken out of their wage packet at the end of the month. And we are in a cost of living crisis. They are all saying they are not being paid enough. Their pay rises are not meeting or matching inflation. So the fact that, you know, they're already in this situation and predicament and they are actually being forced to take strike action in order to try and make things better, not just for themselves as workers, but you've heard from teachers saying, you know, the kids don't have the resources they need to learn in the environment that is suitable for them. We know from our experiences of the NHS that waiting times are insane. Treatment is poor and we are subsidising our healthcare more and more whether that's prescriptions or dental care or paying for eye tests and opticians when the nhs started it was meant to be free from cradle to grave we are straying further and further from that every day um they aren't not just striking for themselves they're striking for those who use their services and for future generations of the profession they're in and if this podcast does anything i really want it to cut down on the misinformation being spread and also just allow you to hear from, you know, ordinary people that just feel like they have been pushed to the edge. This government is really draining public services. And Dennis said it best. Anywhere and any time workers' rights can be eroded, they will be. And that's exactly what is happening right now. I think that the best way to support strike, act, strike action is to join picket lines. Um, you will raise the morale of people when they, you know, there's a, a wonderful film called Pride, which um, people may have heard of, which is talking about the historic role of the um, the enshrining of um, LGBT uh, plus rights in the Labour Party and how that all came about by the union between um, uh, LGBT activists and uh, the miners in the 80s. And what there's a beautiful phrase that's said by a miner in that when he's actually gone to a gay bar and he's he's trying to raise money for uh, families that are are without you know when a strike happens, person loses pay 
And so when the miners' stri strike happened, they were kept going uh, by the generosity of other people. Um, and uh, the um, the uh, one of the it, it, one of the things that's shown in the film is a, a striker going to a gay bar where you know lesbians and gay support the miners were giving were all the time raising money for um, for the strikes. And uh, he says, um, I don't know whether this is true or not. It's certainly it's in the film, which is great. But it, it, he says. Um, uh, on your worst day, solidarity is finding out that you had a friend you never knew you had. Um, and that's the best feeling in the world ever. Um, and so joining picket lines is a really great way of showing solidarity with people who um, are, are in the middle of a fight and, and, and saying, we support your fight. Um, uh, I think also, you know, half a million people were out in February um, on uh, strike action and on demonstrations of that. And then just finally, I think, um, showing support on social media is really important because um both to you know everyone looks at social media so those who are opposed to unions look at it and will learn something um and those who are in the union movement will look at it and feel encouraged so i think on, on both those counts it's worth putting out social media as well now i think you're in a position where you're not quite sure about um more details about why teachers are striking in the first place please talk to us talk to us talk to your um, your teachers at your child, your child's school or schools in general, talk to head teachers about how you can find out more about the campaign and how you can support us as a whole. If, you, if you'd like to, it'd be really wonderful. It'd be great to see more support for the strike action and the campaign to be able to boost funding for education because that's what matters most. In my mind, there are three major things that average person can do to support the strikes. So this can be for anybody, regardless regardless as to whether you're in a union or in a union that's taking industrial action. So firstly, do not cross the picket line. This, this applies to every industry and every picket line across the country. Do not cross a picket line. Join the picket lines. If you go to your train station and you see a massive picket line outside, if you can avoid it, do not cross the picket line join them show them your love and support or take some other way of public transportation or just do not go if you were to not if you were had a, an amazing brilliant meeting that you had to attend um and you couldn't get there because you didn't want to cross a picket line you go back and you contact the person your employer or the person holding the meeting and go I could not come in today because of the picket lines or because of the strikes taking place at my local train station. And by that, we are causing further disruption. Um, and, you know, by standing together um, within unity and doing this together, you know, you're not alone in doing that. Lots and lots of people don't go to interviews, don't go to meetings, don't go to work because they can't because they do not want to cross the picket line or because of industrial action. Um, and this applies for anything, really. It applies to, like to um, higher education, so universities. Um, it applies to schools. Um, anything, honestly, just do not cross the picket line. Contribute to um, the, the cause and, you know, show some love. It's, it's, it's almost like the bare minimum that anybody can do, especially students. Um, so students in higher education, um, so like at university, just don't cross the line. Do not enter a university building. You can enter coffee shops. You can enter your student union. Um, if you're at a university that has colleges, you can go to your college. And there's so many places you can go that's not crossing a picket line. So just don't do it. 
Um, secondly, um, be informed. So misinformation is a massive thing that causes um, c- conflicts between empl- um, the unions and employees or the unions and wider society. Um, the the employer and the government want to turn the people against the trade unions. They want to tell people, oh, well, you're not, you can't receive emergency healthcare because the nurses are going on strike or you can't, you know, that they make, they, there's a hundred and different things that, that they'll try and do to create the tensions between the wider society and the trade unions. And don't just, don't fall for it. Like be informed, stay educated, stay knowledgeable. Um, and you will see that in most cases that that's not the case. And once you take it out of the perspective of yourself, you'll understand that this is a much bigger picture. Um, this is a joint fight for all. Um, and the last thing um, that I would encourage anybody who has the means to, but again, again, this is only for people who have the means to, is donate where you can. So most unions, most union branches, most central union bases will have a hardship fund or a fighting fund or a strike fund that people can donate to anybody can donate to i know the ucu you you can anybody can donate to the ucu um and it's this strike fund that goes towards reimbursing striking members of staff who are going to miss out on a lot of money and be in even worse conditions living conditions because of losing out on their salaries um and it goes to reimburse them and to support them while they're striking um which i think is so important you know i i urge all permanent full-time members of staff who are on healthy salaries, who who are able to do so, I encourage you to donate where you can. And if you're in a union branch that has not, or in a union that has not voted to strike, um, you can donate to a union that ha- that that has a union that has voted to strike. Um, and yeah, those are the three things that I think anybody can do, the average person can do. Um, to support the strikes and together the dispute will end if we all rally together and show the support and show the love for each other the dispute will end and we will have better working working conditions for all and that's ultimately the goal when people ask why should we support the trade union movement this is all disruptive you know and and all of those kind of things it's really important to understand the nature the historical nature of meaningful progressive change it often comes from mobilization like this, disruptive mobilization like this, you know, inconvenience, um, um, if you want to put it that way. But the 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 bigger game that is won as a result of the disruption is important to clock. So, for example, look at the suffragettes. They were called the terrorists of their time. Look at the anti-apartheid movement, the LGBT plus liberation movement and Black Lives Matter the Black Lives Matter movement, what's the common strand amongst all of these? In their day and at their time, they were going up against parliamentarians, against lawmakers and against law enforcers. They were troublemakers and they were talked off in such ways as being troublemakers. But now when we look back, no one in their right mind would agree with apartheid, except of course, racists and fascists. No one would say, oh, we should go back to a system of, of men only having the right to the vote there's a statue to um, the suffragettes in Parliament Square. There's a statue to Nelson Mandela in Parliament Square, who was locked up for being a terrorist. And if you backed Nelson Mandela in the 80s, you were supporting a terrorist. 
So um, I think we've got to understand that this is the way the system gets better. This is the way change happens. Elements of the system challenge what's wrong in the system and make it better. And that's what's happening right now with the strikes. And that challenge is at times painful. It's at times disruptive. It's at times, it, it's a thing that can be easily stigmatized if we don't understand the arc of history that it's a part of. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And again, I thank all of my special guests, Holly Cooper, Dennis Fernando, Sham, Rachel, Zach, uh, and the other teachers um, that spoke on this episode today. Thank you all so much. It could not have been done without you. Um, And thank you for your patience. As you know, this episode came out on a Thursday instead of a Tuesday. But thank you for sticking with me. Um, If you have listened to this episode, I... I really doubt that you could still be sitting there with your headphones on or your speakers blasting this episode out thinking all oh, these strikes are nonsense. There's a no way. There, if, if, if you do, then I've done a terrible job. Um, but I think there's been something, surely there's been something in here for everybody um, to, to resonate with, you know. There's so many industries um, and so many fields that are just not going to be continuing to run at the level um, that they're running at now. Absolutely on its knees is the NHS um, and teaching and the railways um, and the post office um, and so many other industries are going to follow. Um, And these are essential services that we cannot live without and we just cannot have running at a bare minimum and at low capacity. Our society and this country works so much better when its workers, its taxpayers are happy. And I hope that the government see sense. I really do. Um, I don't hold my breath and expect it, but I really hope and pray that change comes and maybe things like this and, and if we all kind of continue to push hard and to apply pressure things may change in the future but thank you so much for listening to this episode thank you again to all my guests um i hope you have a wonderful week and join me next week for episode 100 which i'm quite excited about but also it's come around very quickly 100 episodes already this is number 99 um so yeah well we'll see what next week will bring um but i hope you do enjoy this episode and have a wonderful week thank you so much for listening goodbye